Why don't we uh, turn to Romans chapter 6. We are, we are continuing our sermon series on discovering Paul. And for those of you who have uh, not been around, what we are doing is taking a look at the life uh, of Paul and, of course, the scriptures that he writes to gain a better understanding into the scriptures. The reality here is, at least I believe, Paul is probably, in my opinion, the most misunderstood uh, character in maybe the entirety of the Bible. Um, we can make some arguments against that, but I, I really think he's, 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 he's top two. And so we've been going on a journey, right? Our first one is uh, looking at him as an unlikely apostle, looking at his background, where he comes from. Second one, uh, which we were alluding to during worship, um, was his call for believers to move from the milk of the word into the solid food of the word. And today, uh, probably uh, one of the more challenging ones, a call from Paul, and really a call from Jesus, is what it means to be a bondservant of Messiah. So let's, uh, let's open up, and uh, before I guess we even get into this, I want you guys to know that I love you, and every time I have to teach something, not that it's a condemning word, but every time I have to teach something, like I, unfortunately, I have to walk through it. You know, I mean, it's a fortunate, unfortunate, but like the Lord has to deal with me during the week of like, oh, you know, so I'm just letting you know, letting you know all that because um, it's man, what does it mean to be a bond servant of Christ? Dang. Let's get into it. Romans chapter six, verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey? Whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to the righteousness. <clears throat> but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Going down to verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. All right, so what do we have here? A little bit of history, a little bit of teaching, hopefully a little bit of exhortation. All right? So, uh, what's going on here? <clears throat> in this passage, sometimes we have to slow things down because, you know, we just read through things and we just move on to the next section. We're, we're very, like, goal-oriented, so I mean, I'm going to read the book of Romans so I can get through the book of Romans. Why don't, why don't we slow it down, let's read, and let's see what this guy is saying. Right? What does he say here to the Romans, to the Gentile believers in the city of Rome, right? The epicenter of the Roman Empire. Are you, are, are you to continue to sin because of grace? No. You, you don't keep sinning just because of grace. Because the Romans were saying, ah, there's grace if I screw up, if I continue to sin, it's okay. Now, now, now look, there's grace there that is going to save you from that pit, but to continue to sin is not okay. He says, no, it's not okay to continue to live a life of sin. Even though there's grace there, right? Because you'll be counting the power of the resurrection and you'll be putting it underfoot. So he, of course, says that. What else does he say here? He says, in the past you were a slave to sin, 
So now you should be a slave to righteousness. It's like, whoa, all right. In the past, you were a slave. Now you're a new slave, a slave to righteousness. Third thing, when you were a slave to sin, you were free from righteousness. You are now a slave to righteousness. Therefore, be free from sin. Like you can't have both. You can't be a slave to sin and then be righteous or be acting in a righteous manner. Uh, and then therefore, if you are in righteousness, uh, you should no longer be attached and, and, and connected to the sin. And so essentially what Paul is saying is this. You're free from sin. Now, you need to willingly put on the chains of righteousness. See, this is, this is it, man. I'm free! Well, if you're free, it's going to be a bad place to be. Paul is saying, you have been made free, but now, willingly accept and put on the chains of slavery to righteousness and to Christ. Now, this, uh, this, this is pretty heavy in some regards, but not entirely. Peter, Paul, James, I mean, they over and over and over again begin their epistles with, I am a bondservant of Christ. And so what's really so great about this, I was even having a conversation uh, with my wife, Michelle, about it. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's funny. I think it's funny because we live in a nation that had hundreds of years of slavery. To refer yourself as a slave. And it's also funny, I think even maybe more so, because we live in a society in the West and in America that ideal, you know, just puts on a pedestal and, uh, um, the, the notion of individuality and individual freedom. I mean, this is, this is it's interesting. And sometimes, in, in a way, in the spirit, being born in America, we have this concept of ultimate essence of freedom. And Jesus and Paul are saying, I've made you free. But now you need to choose willingly to no longer be free. To be a slave unto a master that you love. And so I was talking to Michelle about this. And, you know, it's just because I like to get another perspective. Um, your scriptures will say, I am a bondservant of Christ. The problem here is that in Greek, it does not say bondservant. It says doulos. Dulos means slave. So when the scriptures say, I am a bondservant of Christ, and you are to be a bondservant of the Lord, it does not say bondservant. It says you are to be a slave to Christ. And so I was reading all these uh, commentaries on it and all these discussions, and they're saying, look, there is a Greek word for bondservant. It's diakonos, which is being a deacon. Warren. <laughs> That's all right. It would not be a, a service if it didn't go off. It's like, it's like our tradition. You know? So, I just what I want you guys to understand here is that there is a Greek word for, for a bondservant. A bondservant is the concept of deacon. And so the deacons of the church uh, would be those people that are on the board of elders. And so board of elders... Think about this right now. Board of Elders, think about this right now. Why don't you raise your hand so we all know who you are, right? Board of Elders. Bill's not here because he's on vacation and Jess has a sick kid. But uh, two, three of them are here. I don't know where Annabelle went, but 
Did she raise her hand? It says that you are essentially, to be a deacon is to be a bond servant. You are to serve in this very deep way the community that the Lord has put you in. It is such, a, it's such an honor, but it's also such an important thing that, that, that translators are mistranslating it to, to, to kind of patent down the essence of slavery. So why is it, why is it that the, the, the translators are not translating doulos as slave, but rather a bondservant? Essentially what it comes down to is people with much higher degrees and get paid a lot more, more money than I do say it's this, it's to not to offend your modern sensibilities. It is easier for us to stomach this notion of a bondservant. And so a bondservant is like, I serve you for life through a bond, through mutual agreement. No, a slave is a slave. And so you are a doulos, or you're supposed to be a doulos, a slave of Christ. And that, that's, that's, not an easy, that's not an easy thing to comprehend in some regard. So I find it's very funny. I mean, it, like, so the translators are actually like, they're choosing to translate in a different manner so that we can stomach it a little bit more. Isn't that funny? Right? It's very fascinating. So what are our options? These are our options, right? Um, I, I believe you, you can be, obviously, you, you are a son or a daughter of the Lord. You're called to be a disciple, but you're also called to be a slave. And so, we've spent the last two years people understanding their true identity as sons and daughters. Because there's so many people in the church who have not understood that paradigm. What does it mean to be a son or a daughter, right? And so we spent like two years talking about that. And then we, we spent quite a, few, uh, quite a few sermons talking about what was it to be a disciple during the times of Jesus, right? What did it really mean to be a, a disciple of a Jewish rabbi? And we discussed that and discussed that, but I'm here to tell you that many of us may be sons, and daughters, and many of us may even walk in discipleship, but I truly do believe that very few of us, I'm placing me in this, very few of us have adopted the identity and the characteristics of what it means to be a slave of Messiah. So if you walk away today, and you're cool with just being a son or daughter, all right, we, we have a lot of success, actually. If you want to be a disciple, man, I'm like, yeah, now we really had some success. But if you want to be a slave of Messiah, I think we're going to see a changing of the world. How is it that 12 men can change an empire through the power of the Holy Spirit? I got the Holy Spirit in me. You got the Holy Spirit in you. What's the difference? I really do believe it's a mentality of those men who are like, my life is not my own. I am a slave to Messiah. And so, in order to hopefully understand this, and because and, and, you can get really imbalanced quickly, very quickly, it's this. Sonship, without discipline, or a healthy understanding of being a slave to Messiah, equals a reckless, spoiled child that says, sin is okay because of grace. Right? It is the spoiled brat child who never got a little spanking from mommy or daddy. And you get away with whatever you want, you know, like, I can get whatever I want, and it's okay, because they're always going to be there to help me. That's true. God is always there to be there to help you. But if you do not have an essence of discipline in your life, you will walk out a lifestyle of, essentially, a spoiled rich kid who never learned any discipline in their life. That's going to happen. Now, on the flip side, there's also another thing that happens. And being a disciple and a slave 
to Messiah without the understanding of sonship is going to equal legalism and judgment towards others and the self. You see, this is the way it works. We have to do things in balance. I'm just going to be honest, and my perception of the church right now is very much more, more of this. Right? My perception of the last 20 years of mainstream Christianity is, you know, sonship, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me, give me this, I want this, you know, make my life better, all that kind of stuff. I would say that when some of your baby boomers were being brought up in the 70s and 80s, it's a little bit more of that. Maybe you went to a healthy church and had an appropriate balance of both. But I feel like as a church, we need to create an appropriate balance. We are sons that have inheritance and heavenly, blessing, heavenly places with Christ Jesus. There's nothing that we can do to earn his favor. I don't have to prove to him. I don't have to strive after him. He loves me despite my sin, with my sin, without my sin. It's all the same. We've taught about that for two years. For those of us that are guests here, are like, what's this guy talking about? There's another side of the coin. And the other side of the coin is, man, an essence of discipline, of being a slave of Messiah, and balancing that out to create a really holistic understanding. Does that make sense, I hope? Because if it doesn't make sense, right, that's, that's where you get imbalance. And we really need a balance of things. So, you know, we, we take a look at this and you're like, oh, thanks, Paul. Thanks, Dave. It's like, oh, okay, live a life of righteousness, free from sin. You're now a slave of righteousness. Great, awesome, man. How do you do that? And so I think in order to understand this stuff, uh, we really need to understand enslavement. Um... Because you can't be free until you really understand what it means to be a slave. Uh, there are three types of people in this context. I, I think that there actually are people who are truly free from sin, who are walking in a life of the understanding of righteousness. Maybe that's some of you out there. That's one person. Then there's a type of person that, that it seems to be at times they appear to be struggling with sin, entangled in sin. They can't get out of it. They can't get out of the patterns of their life. They're like, I know it's wrong. I want to stop doing X, Y, and Z, but I can't. I'm just stuck. That's another type of person. And there's a third type of person, which is probably the scariest one. And it's probably, that probably, it's probably what comprises the largest majority of, the majority of the population of the greater church, I think. It's this. None are more hopelessly enslaved than those who are falsely believe they are free. The German philosopher Goethe. That's the type of person like, oh, I'm free, I'm good. Yeah, I'm not entangled to any sins. I'm all good. I'm totally free in, in the Lord and blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. That, I think, is actually one of the most uh, dangerous places. And so the question here is with all of this, which type of person are you? And really, are you free? Are you free? Anyone care to comment? I mean, now everyone's like nervous. I get it. It's a trick question, so you didn't take the debate. Don't take. You want to take? You take it. No, you're not free. Okay. Look, are, what, are you free? You know, some people like want to talk about like you know rage and anger and lust. I mean, those are like the ones that people see. Right. Come on, what are the ones that are inside that no one sees, or the ones that that, that church is okay with? And you do understand that the broad church is okay with certain sins and not okay with other sins. 
I mean, I want to go for a list of them because then people are going to like feel offended and feel upset. But if you want to talk to me later, I can give you a list of certain sins that the church seems to be okay with. I'll talk in like, it seems to be like you're talking like, you know, uh, bigger, work, you, in different terminology, people are okay with like avarice. Right? I think it's how it's pronounced, right? Greed, gluttony. We're okay with those sins, right? But other sins like loss and drugs and addiction, we're not okay with. And so you have to take a look at, like, like, sin is sin, right? So are you free? Are you free from your ego? Good, that's kind of the punchline. Are you free from your ego? Are you free from evil thoughts in your mind? Are you free from the flesh? Are you free from money and greed and, and pursuing your identity through those things? Are you free from your emotions? What people say about you, what they think about you. Right? These are all things that entangle people. But I said, are you free is a trick question. If you are free and you say you're free, uh-oh, that's the point of the message. You're not supposed to be free. You're supposed to be a slave unto Christ. So then you can't be free. You get what I'm saying here? You can't be free if you are a slave unto him. Now, all this kind of stuff you were saying, like, okay, you know, uh, how do you be the first person, like, truly free and, and living in righteousness? Well, I would say you can't, the whole point of the matter is you cannot actually be free. We are all supposed to be a slave, and everyone is a slave to something. You just get to choose what you're going to be a slave to. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it like this, right? For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So here's the thing. You, as Eileen was getting at, you already actually are free. You're already righteous before him. It's not something that you have to try to achieve. It's something that you already are. At the same time, though, everyone isn't, is going to be a slave to something. Everyone has a master. Everyone has something to obey. It's just a question of what you are obeying. The flesh, the money, the greed, the lust, the emotions, the food, or are you obeying and being a slave unto Messiah? And so this gets a little, little, little wackadoodle here, but it's this. You can only be free from sin if you know you are free. There's a lot of people who don't know that you have been made free in Him. Like, it's already been done. It's, it is finished, right? It's over. You are now righteous before Him. And so when you begin to understand that you are righteous before Him, you begin to acknowledge and understand that you are, in fact, free in Him. The chains of sin are already broken. They're laying on the ground. It's just so funny. It's like the, the chains of sin have, are already on the ground and there are people who are just like... And, and we put it back on ourselves. Like, you'll do things to go down like, ah, oh, no, I, I'm going to put it back on. Come on. You are already free in Him. The chains have been removed. You just need to know that the chains are on the ground. They're not, they're not on you anymore. That's what it means when Jesus sees you as the righteousness of God. He sees you as a people that no longer have chains on us. But we can put the chains back on us. And, but there's a pattern of why. There's just a spiritual component. All mankind seemingly was destined from the beginning to be enslaved to something. And this is the moment. This is the moment. 
Jesus comes and saves you. You get prayer. You, you talk to a brother or sister, and they pray for you, and you feel, you know what I'm talking about, you feel those chains come off of you. They're there. It's a spiritual dynamic that what will happen is because you are free, something will now come in and grab you. It's either going to be the old chains. Come on, has anyone ever gotten prayer from a brother or a sister? Go through something, go through a very impactful service. You're like, man, I'm finally free from this. And then a couple weeks later, you're like, what the heck? I'm right back to where I started. Is anyone else like that? All right, good, a couple of us. This is the element, right? It's the whole element when Jesus was talking to disciples that when you cast out a demon, make sure you, when you cast out that demon that something else comes in to replace it. This is the paradigm. There are people who get saved and get free from the junk of the past, but what happens over time is there are new chains that come upon you because there is a spiritual principle. And it's this, okay, so you can only be free from sin if you know you are free. The chains of sin are already broken, laying on the ground. And this is the component that people forget about and they don't do. Because it's really nice to feel free. Especially when you're American. And now, the only way you will remain free is if you willingly put on the chains of Christ. The chains of righteousness. Chains which are bound not with iron, but with the links of love bolted shut with his blood. If you do not say, Lord, I have been made free from nicotine. I've been made free from alcohol. I've been made free from gossip. I've been made free from judgment. I've been made free from emotions and high thoughts. I'm free. I guarantee you, guaranteed, spiritual principle, you'll be right back to where you are if you do not say, I am free and now I want your chains. I need your chains now. Chains of righteousness, chains of love. I need to put that on. If you do not put that on, you will be right back to where you are. Not just right back to where you are, but usually worse. I'm speaking out of experience. And I'm not going to talk about it necessarily publicly because this is going to go on the internet. But if you want to know, you can come talk to me. It comes back worse. It comes back a hundred times worse. You know... You guys know what I'm talking about. You guys and gals, you know exactly what I'm talking about if you're tracking. Come on, an amen or something? Amen. Even if you don't think it's an amen, just say it because I'll feel... No. No, no, that would be ego, right? So it's all good. No, I'm laying it down. You see, there's ego. Come on, Dave. So you know how easy it is for ego to come in when you have a microphone in your hand? It's like so crazy. Oh, yeah. All it is is a microphone. It's like you can get ego real quick. All right. Let's move this along. Uh, really to understand how to get free from all this kind of stuff and how to really be a slave unto Messiah, which is already woo, a heavy thing, we need to take a look at ancient slavery a little bit in Rome. All right, to understand slavery, let us look essentially what, on what was slavery like in the New Testament? What was slavery like underneath the Roman Empire? Uh, if we do that, we'll, we'll have a better understanding of, of how to get free and how to live a life devoted to Messiah as a slave. To understand freedom from sin, uh, you need to really first understand slavery. And to become free, you need to be a slave. It's like, the only way you're going to be free is if you're a slave. The only way to understand freedom is to first understand slavery. Alright, what were the, uh, the elements of how one could be a slave or one would be a slave underneath the Roman Empire? All right, this is all historical. This is like all historians that, that are saying. This isn't, this isn't like me making this up, okay? 
One reason is uh, to pay off a debt. Right? You owe someone money, you don't have the money, you sell yourself to them. Uh, within 10 years, maybe you can buy yourself back, but you're paying off a debt. Now think about these, think about these spiritual patterns of slavery, right? To pay off a debt, well, the blood of Jesus paid for me. Then therefore I'm a slave unto him because he ransomed me. He paid for my, for my body, for my spirit, for my essence. That's very hard to understand when you live in the land of the free. No one is free. You're enchained to something, always. You've got to pick what it's going to be. Um, you could become a slave because you're captured in war. Come on. There's a battle between sin and death and life. There's a battle between, between sin and righteousness. There's a, a battle between death and life. There's always a battle going on. It's just, all right, who's going to grab you? Are you going to be a slave unto death? Or are you going to be a slave unto life? Uh, sometimes uh, people, this is where things get really nasty in the Roman Empire. Sometimes you're just born as a slave. So you're born into it. And since you're born into it, you are now destined to be a slave. Well, it's okay. Okay, I've been born again. What, you, what were you born again into? Into freedom. And then willingly take on the chains of slavery onto Christ. But many people don't do that last part. So they live a very weak Christian life with no impact and no intimacy. Because you've got to put it on. Uh, another reason uh, would be you would sell yourself into slavery for a better life. It's like you're poor. You're like, my life is horrible. It's not going anywhere. You know, I'm pretty much living a slave life already. So now let me sell my body to a Roman who will give me a job and my life will actually be better. This is the notion of like we give our lives unto Messiah, right? And that we have life, life abundantly. But it's interesting that the life abundantly happens when you adopt the chains of the master, Messiah. That's the only way you'll have life abundantly. Because if you are a slave, you're now his property. And if you're his property, you're now going to be living that lifestyle of that master. Amen. But many Christians do not put on those chains. And then therefore, they do not live a lifestyle nor have the inheritance of their master. You get what, are you tracking what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, it's not a popular message for the West. I get it. But it's a message of the gospel. It's a message of not just that you're free, it's that you're free and now put on the chains. Willingly. The Roman Empire. Uh, I apologize. Uh, I think we need some new graphics up here. But the, uh, the map is, is a little washed out. <laughs> so let, let's, uh, now let's now take a look a little bit at the Roman Empire. Uh, in green is the Roman Empire, uh, and so 98% of the slaves underneath the Roman Empire were European. How do we know that? They take a look at the graves of slaves at the time of Rome. 2% of the DNA would be a non-European. So it would be like Asian, uh, uh, Middle Eastern, and or uh, Sub-Saharan Africa. Most of the slaves were of European stock, Okay. So we'll just throw that out there so you have an understanding. Like the Rome would conquer southern and central Europe and be like, yeah, you guys are our slaves now. So 98%. Rome was brutal. Brutal. If you were a slave and you escaped, underneath the law, your master could take you and crucify you. You ever see Spartacus? It was a real event. Come on, man. 
There's the significance of Jesus being crucified. It's the death of a slave. Slave unto his father. Obedient unto death. When you're walking down the, uh, down the way of Rome and you, and, you, and you see these people being crucified, you're like, all right, a lot of them are slaves who tried to escape. There's a power in that. Um, the Roman Empire uh, actually stops at the Rhine River in the middle of Germany. This would be cool for some of you history people out there. They stop. The empire stops. Uh, right at this place. This place right here. The Teutoburg Forest. In the year 9, 912 miles north from Rome, the Romans suffer their first major defeat. 10,000 Romans a day, boom, being killed. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Rome, the oppressor. Rome, the enslaver. My question is here, do you really want to see the defeat of the oppressor? I'm the enslaver of you in your life. Do you want to see that defeated? Yes, good. How did Rome stop? How come they did not take over central Germany? How come they did not move into the northern countries? There's two spiritual things to learn from this so that you can really understand how to get yourself free from the sins that are entangling you and to be a slave unto Christ. Two things is this. You change the battleground of the war. You have to change the battleground. You see, in central Germany in the year 9, it's cold. And the Romans are a Mediterranean people. You're 912 miles north of Rome. And you're now freezing your hiney off, fighting these Germanic tribes, and it's like, what the heck? In fact, not only is it cold, it's heavily wooded. The, 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 the ability for Rome to conquer so much was through Roman formations. The Roman legion. The Roman phalanx. That's what made Rome so devastating. When you are walking with a Roman legion down nice, fertile Mediterranean fields or even into the arid deserts of the Middle East, you better watch out, you're done. But that right there is not going to work in the heavily wooded northern forest. And so now you have the great, mighty Rome has not been, it can't go any further. They are stopped because of the notion that they cannot handle the environment. This is a spiritual principle, man. You need to get to a place in your life where the serpents can't go. There is a paradigm in hiking that at a certain elevation, snakes cannot live. They can't live. I forget the actual uh, elevation gain. I think it's probably somewhere around 7,000 feet, 6,000 feet. A serpent, a snake can't live. So if you're in a battle with, with the enemy and you keep getting entangled in, in typical sin, what you need to do is you need to elevate yourself and get yourself into heavenly places through worship, through prayer, through fasting. I'm like, I'm changing the battle game, bro. You're not going to be able to get me if I'm so in tuned in heavenly places with Jesus. And so the lesson is how did the Germans not become enslaved to the Romans? They had them on their own turf in the cold and in the forest and the Mediterranean people can't get them. That's power. Change the battleground 
of your mind and your life. He won't be able to get you. The second one is kind of comical, because I always joke around with, with, with my wife about this. Well, not always, but sometimes I have. And actually, it has meant to be in an endearing way. But I guess a little bit of pride, too. I don't know. The second lesson is outside of changing the, the, the battleground is this. It's simply Germany or the Germanic tribes simply was not worth it to the Romans. I always joke with my wife. I was like, when your ancestors, because she's Sicilian at the time, like when your ancestors were building the Colosseum, mine were still running around living in caves, literally. We had no cities, we had no villages, and you're building aqueducts. Mine are still literally eating raw meat. It's like we were completely uncivilized, barbarians. And this is the beauty of it. Rome gets stopped at the Rhine River because of the changing of the battleground. But also, literally, we, we have like Tacitus and all these Roman historians are, who actually write, they're like, it, what are we doing? We're losing 10,000 men a day to these uncivilized, primitive barbarians that have nothing to give us. What's the point? And finally, they're like, all right, I guess we're turning around and going back home. Okay. Look, they had no cities. They had no real wealth. I'm, I'm talking in, in, in the year nine, the Germanic tribes are, are essentially like bar, barbarous cavemen types. Still running around and, and, and doing weird, weird things. And the Romans are like, one, these people are brutal. Actually, when they took a Roman, they would take him and boil him and eat him. They're like, these are not normal people and they have nothing to give us so let's turn around they have no money so this is the concept is this if you have nothing to get the enslaver doesn't want you I am crucified in Christ there is nothing to get my life is not my own so when Satan tries to come and tries to get things, at least this is what I want to get to this place. I'm not saying I've arrived yet, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I want to get there. Like if Satan tries to get you and tries to enslave you with something, he shows up and he's like, there's nothing here to get. Because if I'm going to get anything, I'm only going to get Christ. And he's like, I don't want it. I am a slave dead in him and now made alive in him. So if you get to a place when you're truly a slave unto Christ and your life is not your own, Satan comes to tempt you with, with things and you're like, this isn't even my life. What are you going to do? You know, when he comes to you and, and he tries to, tries to get you with your ego, your ego, you shouldn't have one because your ego is his. So when Satan comes to you and tries to, tries to get you with ego and thinking mighty of yourself, you're like, I, don't have, I shouldn't have one because my life is not my own. My mind is not my own. It's the Lord's. Emotions? Starts going in there. It doesn't matter what people say about you because your actions are not your own. They're his. It only matters what he says about you. Now, it's easier said than done. I get it. But this is the purpose of like pulling on these chains. My one is like death and sickness and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I was always like, do I even say this? Like, I'm a little nervous saying this, but it's like death? Like, would Satan really try to go after a son or daughter of the Most High God and have them, have them be like befalled with something? If you really think about it, it's like Satan, like, hello? Like, to, to be absent in the body is to be immediately present with Christ. 
It's like when we die, we're eventually going to get a resurrected body and we're going to be the judge of nations and kings. Like if you died right now, you'd open up your eyes and be before the throne of God, making intercession for the saints underneath the throne of God if you were a martyr, right? As it says in Revelation. It's like, does Satan actually want to kill you? Because if he did come after you, I don't even know if this is theologically sound, but you know what I'm saying. Like, if, if some evil befalls you to bring you into death, it's like, does Satan actually want you in that place? He wants you in fear. Because once you leave this place in some kind of essence, like, you actually become more effective and more powerful in the spirit. Because you're interceding for the saints in heaven. So it's like, death, where is there a sting? Now, he'll play with you with the emotions and the fear, absolutely, but the reality is a different matter. All right, let's get the uh, worship team to come on down. Now, I was, gonna, I was thinking, I was, I'll be honest, I was really struggling all week. Like, do I stop here? All right, let's pray. Let's go downstairs and have coffee. No, I was really struggling. I was really, I guess, I guess it was so funny. I guess I was struggling with ego and, and high thoughts. Like, what are people going to think? Is the message too long? Is it this, that, and everything? And then it dawned on me. I was like, man, everything that I just told you, I actually would say would be classified from two weeks ago as the milk. Yeah. That right there is milk. That's all it is, man. You're crucifying him. You're a slave to righteousness. And Paul would say, do I have to teach this again to you? as we saw in Hebrews from two weeks ago. Remember? So let's move into the meat now. Just a couple more minutes. This is difficult to convey, man, because this is now really getting to the meat of things. Jesus and Paul on slavery in the New Testament is a very difficult thing to handle. Very difficult. Lord, help me to convey this in the right way. See, the Jewish people at the time go to Jesus and they say, Man, you're, you're Mashiach ben David. You're the Messiah, son of David, the righteous king. Rid us of the Romans. Get these guys out of here. Let us be free. And Jesus' response is, My kingdom is not of this world. It's like, really? We're going to have these oppressors still here? Yeah, physical oppressors. It's very frustrating. Jesus in the New Testament is absolutely mute on the institution of slavery. It's like, what the heck? Now, so you don't get confused and you don't put words in my mouth. Slavery is absolutely wrong. How can you be a slave when you view your neighbor as someone that you are to love? You get what I'm saying? But it's like Jesus, in the time of Rome, there's 60 million people who are slaves. One third of the population of the Roman Empire is a slave. And you're not going to stand up and say, I preach the abolition of slavery? It's like, come on, man. It's like right there, time for the, for the picking. It's really, really frustrating. Paul, oh my God. Have you ever read what Paul says to slaves? It's like, I don't want to read this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 21. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. What are you talking about, Paul? I am concerned about it. 
I've come to faith and I'm a slave. Don't be concerned about it. Come on. Don't be concerned about it. Come on. But if you can be made free through the paying of money, then use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You are bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Is the enslaving of people wrong? Yes, there's, 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 in Revelation, it talks about those that buy and sell humans will be thrown into the pit of fire. First Timothy, Paul alludes to it very slightly. I believe it's the heart of Jesus and the heart of Paul not to have people enslaved. But the fact of the matter is, for some crazy weird reason, they do not attack the institution of slavery in the text. Which is very frustrating. Dr. Glancy from Columbia University, a New Testament scholar, says this. Jesus does not condemn the institution of slavery. What he demands is something unexpected. He stipulates that his followers are to become a community of slaves serving one another. How strange this mandate must have seemed in the first century. How strange it seems today. Like he's actually calling us to be slaves to him. And slaves to one another. And so why does Jesus, why does Paul not confront the institution of slavery? It's in part because he wants you to be a slave to him and to one another. The second piece of this is going to really upset some of us in here. And it's this. Jesus and Paul's ministries are never about changing things from the top down. Never. Not once. It's all about the bottom up. Do you think there was abortion in the New Testament times? Yes. Do you see Paul and Jesus petitioning Rome to get rid of abortion? No. What do they petition? The hearts of men. Now, should there be a law and should we go out and vote in accordance to our hearts? Yeah, I think so. But the focus of their ministry is slavery is evil, corrupt, and wrong. But the way to change it is to change people's hearts. And when you come to faith, you're no longer going to look to your slave as someone who is a slave. You're going to look to him as a brother. And now the rest of Rome will see you and be like, holy cow, there's something different about these. How can I equate it to today? It would be, yes, you voting in legislation against abortion. But more powerfully, it would be you going to Planned Parenthood and going to a woman that is pregnant and say, Honey, don't do it, but I have no money and I can't do it. Honey, come live with me. Live with my family. That's bottom up. How easy it would be for Jesus and Paul just to say, no longer slavery. How much more difficult it would be is to have your hearts changed so if you do have a slave, you willingly, voluntarily let him go and see him as a brother. It's completely different. And so I think a slave of a Messiah would go down to Planned Parenthood and be like, man, here's money. Here, come live with my family. You don't have anyone. Like, that's the call of that kind of being a community of slaves serving one another. And it's not a popular message, and I get it. 
But I want Rome to see our actions. I want them to see a people who are a slave unto righteousness. I want to see a people who are not trying to reason their sin away with their mind. I've got to change it. I've got to change it. That's top down. Oh, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I want to see a people who from the bottom up in their hearts, they're like, man, I'm a slave unto righteousness. I've called into higher places. I no longer have the desire and want to be a slave to this thing. That's the bottom up. Top down, down is don't do this. Bottom up is why would you do it? In conclusion, and I said, if, if you're not grabbing this, I get it. This is meat. First 80% of today was more milk. To understand the complexities of top-down versus bottom-up, is this that's meat. To even entertain the concept, why would Jesus and Paul not abolish the institution of slavery? It's like, whoa, in this country, it's like, I mean, there were Christians in the South who were legitimizing slavery by the word of God. I'm not doing that. I'm just asking the question, why is it that they would not tackle the institution? Two reasons. He wants you to be a slave to one another. And two, it's all about bottom up, not top down. The difference of hierarchy versus the, the place of the heart. That is like, that's meat. That's solid food. That's deep. And if you have difficulties with that, I, I encourage you at the end of service to talk to me, talk to Alan, talk to Josh, because it's much more detailed kind of stuff. And so, I have to teach this, and I know we're getting a little longer, but I, like, it, was, it was on my heart all week. Deeply on my heart. I mean, it was so deep in my heart that I actually went on Google and I, I wrote, how long should a sermon be? Being honest. Because my emotions and my ego are like, oh, are people going to be upset? Like, is it too long? This, that, and everything. I won't, tell you, I won't tell you how long the average is. The one I liked was, teach as long as you feel led by the Lord, but it should feel like 20 minutes. I like that. It should feel like it. Whether it's 20 minutes, it could be a five-minute preaching and it could feel like 20 minutes, or it could be an hour preaching and feel like 20 minutes. Uh, the letter to Philemon. Shortest epistle of Paul. You may not have read it. 25 verses, one chapter, 355 Greek words. The most amazing story I think of the New Testament that just wrecks me. And I think it's something that can set you free in understanding of like, I don't want to be a slave to that thing anymore. I want to be a slave to this. So please bear with me, especially, especially if you've gone through your Christian walk and you've been wrestling and struggling with sin your entire time. You don't know how to let go. I don't know how to do it. This story, Philemon, I think has the answer to it. Philemon is a pastor in a house church. Okay? And Paul is writing him, saying, Philemon, brace yourself. Your slave, Onesimus, has escaped and has come to me. This is a Christian, born again, spirit-filled, a pastor in the church in, 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 uh, in Collis that has a slave. And Paul is like, hey man, a slave left you. And he came and found me in Rome. 
what do you do with that? Here is a great opportunity for, for Paul to be like, slavery is bad. <laughs> Let's read. Romans uh, uh, Philemon 10. I, Paul, appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I'm sending him back. I'm sending him back. You, therefore, receive him. That is my own heart. Whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains over the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive, receive him as you would receive me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will, I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Onesimus leaves, and he goes and finds Paul, which means that Onesimus was in prison with Paul. Onesimus is a bad dude. He's a slave that runs away, but then probably also did something else that he got himself into prison. And Paul says, never fear, I'm riding to Philemon. I know him. We're like bros. Philemon. Onesimus has come to faith. I'm sending him back to you. Underneath Roman law, he is to be crucified. Receive him as a brother. Notice, Paul does not say, get rid of slavery. He says, Onesimus, go back. Go back to Philemon. Go back to your master. And what does he say to Philemon? Receive him. More than a slave, but as a brother. And what we have here in Closing Up For Real is this. This little tiny book is a beautiful archetype of the story of redemption. Philemon is the master. In some kind of literature kind of way, in philosophy and theology, I think Paul is going for. Philemon represents the father. Because we want to get you free from sin right now. Here it is. Philemon represents the father. Onesimus is the one who belonged to the father, to Philemon, but runs away. He's a representation of you and I. When we break away from our agreement with the master, we break away from, from the Lord. And we pursue enslavement. We pursue sin. And Paul is the archetype of Messiah. What does he say? Receive the slave back. Receive him now as a brother. And he has stolen stuff from you. But I'll pay it back. I got this. Why? Paul, Philemon 1. I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ. 
I'm going to pay his debt. It's the archetype of Jesus. I believe the way to break away from the entanglement of sins of our life is really to put on new chains, chains of Messiah. But yet you keep going back to it. I get it. I've been there. And I think that in this story of Philemon, it's unleashed with verse 15 that I simply cannot get out of my spirit all week. Paul says, For perhaps he, Onesimus, departed for, from you for a while for this purpose, so that you could receive him forever. And I'm just telling you right now, if you can repeatedly go back to sin and you keep going back to sin, I'm telling you this, why don't you just release yourself from this right now? Why don't we stand? Come on. Let's stand. Let's, let's, let's get our brothers and sisters to be released from the tangle of sin. I believe the linchpin is this. For you to understand that quite possibly, quite possibly, you have gone and pursued that sin. Like Onesimus, you've left to be free, quote-unquote. But just perhaps, you're in that place of, of continual sin so that you can understand now, fully, how important it is to adopt the chains of Christ. Just maybe you've hit that low of your life. Maybe you just keep battling that thing and you can't let go of it. Maybe, just maybe, like Onesimus, you had to go to that place so that you can understand that you can now adopt new chains, being a slave, a son, a disciple of the Messiah, and you get to go back to him. Just maybe. Because Onesimus was free. And what did he do with his freedom in the story of Philemon? He ended up in prison. See, in your freedom, if you're free, I'm telling you, you're going to go back into a prison. Maybe the same prison walls, maybe the same chains that held you before, or maybe possibly new ones. But what Paul is saying here is, I am taking on the debt of Onesimus. What Jesus is saying is, I am taking on the debt of your sin. But now, go back, Onesimus. And yes, you could suffer crucifixion. But the Father already chose someone else to bear the burden and the death of a slave, Jesus, his son. So now, you can go and be with the Father again as his servant, saying, man, I went away, Lord, and I chose other chains. But I realize those chains just put me in a new prison, like Onesimus. So I'm being returned to you, willingly adopting the chains of righteousness, saying my life is not my own anymore. My ego, my emotions, my heart, my spirit is not mine anymore, it's yours. In order to do that, I'm telling you, you need to change the battleground of your life. You need to enter into heavenly places. Yes, you need to worship like your heart's on fire. You need to pray. You need to fast. And just draw and understand what it means to be a son, a disciple, but also a slave of Messiah.
Mario is going to continue with a little bit of time of worship. If you want to stay here, please do. If you're leaving, have a wonderful week. Hope to see you on Wednesday. Or downstairs over some coffee and refreshments. But I also want to encourage you. If we can get Josh, excuse me. We get Josh and Alan to come on down. If you, if, if you are an Onesimus, you ran away from God and you ended up in a new prison with new cells and new chains. I want to pray and we want to pray our verse 15 over you. Just maybe you went through this so that you can return to him willingly and adopting those chains again. Come on. Just come on down if you need that. If you need that revelation that Onesimus had in a prison cell in Rome, we just want to encourage you. We want to pray for you to get that revelation. Have a wonderful week. And please, if there's casual conversation, please just move that into the lobby. God bless.